1: tells us in his opening chapter 1 verse 1 that he reigned or he ministered during the reigns of the same kings he ministered during the times of the kings that micah himself ministered to Well, if god's already got a prophet isaiah and he's already ministering why do you need micah you'll learn that god is so loving he so loves the world that he's not just going to give you one witness now i'm personally very thankful for that
0: When you first started to believe in God, was it the kindness of God that drew you to repentance, or was it the fear of God's wrath and the thought of hell that drew you to God? Today, Pastor Danny will be explaining how some people are drawn by God's kindness, and some are drawn because they realize their sin will lead them to hell. When God was trying to get Israel to repent, He sent two witnesses to minister to them, because He's long-suffering and loving, desiring that none should perish. Now here's Pastor Danny in the Book of Micah, Chapter 1, as he begins his message, Micah Overview, A Second Witness.
1: He opens up chapter 1, verse 1, the word of the Lord that came to Micah of Moresheth. It was about 25 miles south of Jerusalem. During the reigns of Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, the vision he saw concerning Samaria and Jerusalem. If you've been with us in our study of Amos, for example, I noted that the kingdom of Israel had been divided. Rehoboam, son of Solomon, uh, because of some decisions he made and uh, his mistakes, he caused the kingdom to be divided. And so there were the northern tribes and the southern tribes. What happened was they made the capital of the north, Samaria, and the capital of the south continued to be Jerusalem. One of the kings, Jeroboam, son of Nebat, he introduced idolatry into the northern kingdom. And so in Samaria, they set up these idolatrous temples. They sacrificed to foreign gods. Interesting, they did that while still sacrificing to the God of Israel. Micah tells us he ministered during the reigns of Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah. So that's during the reign of several years at several elections for us, if you will, different presidents, when you become a real student of the Word, you might recognize that when you read verses like Micah chapter 1, verse 1, the more you read, you might recall something you read back in Isaiah. Isaiah, another prophet for the Lord. And Isaiah tells us in his opening, chapter 1, verse 1, that he reigned or he ministered during the reigns of the same kings. He ministered during the times of the kings that Micah himself ministered to. Well, if God's already got a prophet Isaiah and he's already ministering, why do you need Micah? You'll learn that God is so loving. He so loves the world that he's not just going to give you one witness. Now, I'm personally very thankful for that. If he just gave me one witness and I didn't listen to that witness and he said, okay, that's it, I'm not gonna speak to you ever again, (laughs) I'd be history. Let everything be established by two or three witnesses. Thank God, he doesn't speak just once, he doesn't speak through just one person. If you remember our study of Amos, God not only spoke through the voice of Amos, God also reminded the people, if you don't listen to me, things are going to go south in your life. If you continue to go in your waywardness, things are going to get worse. Remember the story in the New Testament of the prodigal son, that things go from really good. He's got a pocket full of money. He left home. He's living a rebellious lifestyle. But over time, his money ran out. He's destitute. He's in a pig pen. He's longing for what they're feeding the pigs, and he can't even give that. And it says in that pig pen, he came to his senses. We aren't told all the witnesses that were brought into the prodigal's life. But listen, there's no doubt. There's more than one witness. God has the prophet Isaiah, but the prophet Isaiah is not enough. And so he raises up another prophet, Micah. This is the second witness. This is the second voice. Again, when you make a habit of reading the Bible, you take something like the opening verse of Micah, The opening verse of Isaiah, it lists the kings, and you might then find yourself going back to 1st and 2nd Kings. And 1st and 2nd Kings are two books that tells us about the reigns of these kings and what the world was like during their reigns. Now, I'm not going to put you to sleep by reading a bunch of those verses, but let me just summarize uh, what happened. Idolatry introduced in the northern kingdom by Jeroboam, that spread was passed on to other kings. It not only spread in the northern kingdom over years, it spread down south. God warns them again and again. He sends prophets like Isaiah, like Micah. If you don't repent, worse is going to happen. The northern kingdom over years would not listen, and they eventually fell to Assyria. They're given over to the enemy. That's what happens. Judah, even watching the northern kingdoms fall to Assyria, they still don't listen to the Lord's voice. They still continue in their waywardness. They eventually fell. And that's what happens. When you read books like First and Second Kings, you understand what the culture was like. What was it like? Well, it just history repeating itself. Here's what it was like in Micah's day, in Isaiah's day. It was idolatry. With the idolatry, there was sexual sin. Micah opens up, verse 2 of chapter 1. Hear, O peoples, all of you, listen, O earth and all who are in it, that the sovereign Lord may witness against you, the Lord from his holy temple. Look, the Lord is coming from his dwelling place. He comes down and treads the high places of the earth. That's a clue. The mountains melt beneath him. The valleys split apart like wax before the fire, like water rushing down a slope. All this is because of Jacob's transgression, sin, because of the sins of the house of Israel. What is Jacob's transgression? Is it not Samaria? Things going on in Samaria. What is Judah's high place? Second time we hear something about a high place. Is it not Jerusalem? Talking about what's happening in Jerusalem. What's a high place? It's the place that they would go to worship these other gods. They would set up what was called an Asherah pole. They'd build a temple to the God. And with the temple, guess what they provided? You're not going to believe it. You go to one of these temples, you go to worship, and they provided for you women. And when it got perverse, they provided men. Men for men. They were temple prostitutes. It wasn't just sexual sin. Uh, it was even perverted sexual sin. Idolatry over time will always turn to perversion. The religious and civic leaders, they were full of self-indulgence, And greed, Uh, they were frauds, cheats. And because of the greedy religious and civic leaders, the people became just like them. That's what Micah tells us in chapter 7, verse 2. But while they got all this going on, they were still very religious. And they had these prophets telling everybody, everything's okay sexual sin. They didn't view it as sexual sin. As long as you love. And of course, the the cheating and the stuff going on, that was under the table. (laughs) Unless you got caught. And you had these false prophets. If you read carefully Micah, you also realize that the culture of the day uh, included a lot of Alcohol use. How do you know that? Well, if you look at chapter 2, verse 11, if a liar and deceiver comes and says, I'll prophesy for you plenty of wine and beer, he'd be just the prophet for this people. I see lots of wine, lots of beer, all free. (laughs) Everybody go, ah, yeah, man, that's that's the way. Let's go and uh, see you at church. (laughs) Idolatry, sexual sin, greed... Selfish indulgence, people becoming just like their leaders. And then you have these religious leaders saying, everything's okay. Everything wasn't okay. All the prophets had a two-sided message. Uh, This is kind of a summary of the whole Bible and all the messengers that God raised up. On the one side, they confronted people in their sin, all kinds of sin. And in confronting them, they would say, if you are willing to repent. Repent a word that just means to turn. The Bible tells us all we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. And God calls, God sends messengers, God puts witnesses in our lives so that we might have the opportunity to turn from the way we're going, repent. Repent means to turn. I turn from going my way, I turn, and I go God's way. That's repentance. Repentance from sin. Sin. It's a word we don't use a lot these days. It's a word that if you do use, (laughs) you can get in real trouble. Sin. Sin. It's a very simple word. It's as simple as the word repent. Repent means to turn. What does sin mean? Sin means missing the mark. Here's the bullseye. You've missed the bullseye. You've missed the mark. You're off. The prophets would come. They would speak to the people. They would give them an opportunity to repent. That's one side of the message. If they chose to repent, this is the good side of the message of the prophet. If you'll repent, not only can you have peace with God, you can have a glorious future ahead of you. Micah chapter 4, that's what he does. After he spends the opening saying, here's what's going on, confronting them with what's going on. Here's the wrongness of your ways. And then in chapter 4, he says, in the last days, here's the future. The mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as chief among the mountains. It'll be raised above the hills. Peoples will stream to it. Many nations will come and say, come and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. He'll teach us his ways so that we may walk in his paths. The law will go out from Zion, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He will judge between many peoples. He'll settle disputes for strong nations far and wide. They'll beat their swords into plowshares, their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. Verse 5, all the nations may walk in the name of their gods. We will walk in the name of the Lord our God. And here's the good news. Forever and ever. The message of the Bible is not complicated. Oh, some of the places may be a little harder to read. You may, it may take time to really understand what God is saying. But when you do, it really comes down to a very simple message. All oh, we like sheep have gone astray. God sends a witness, not just one witness. He sends witnesses and he says, if you'll repent, if you'll turn from the way you're going and you'll turn, you can have peace with God, and I got a glorious future for you. That's the plan. Some of the prophets, <laughs> if you study carefully, they weren't all that excited when God called them. Especially when some of them followed the call of God and they got into, you know, doing the ministry and, and going and speaking to the people. And uh, most of them were not well received. Some of them the very people they went to minister to. They killed them. I'm talking killed them. (laughs) Thank God, God spoke through the prophets, and then God spoke to the prophets as well. Because the prophet, he had to really believe. He had to really believe what he was saying. Micah has one of the greatest privileges, the revelation God gave him. What a... A great thing to be able to teach during the Christmas season. Chapter 5 of Micah. I don't know if you caught it. <laughs> Verse 2, But you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old, even from ancient times. The word means from eternity past. An eternal one is coming. He's the Savior of the world. It's through him. It's through Him all of your future rest, all of the hope that you have. He's the reason for the season. The babe born and placed in that Bethlehem manger whose origins are from eternity past. John, the gospel writer in John chapter 1, put it this way, In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. And then verse 14, And the Word became. That baby grew, and that baby became the greatest prophet. Jesus was a prophet. A prophet introduced him to the world. We call him John the Baptist. He wasn't a Baptist like my Baptist background. He was a denomination Baptist. He was a Baptist because he baptized a lot of people. I think John's the originally Harley guy, if they had rode Harleys back in the day, John would have been on one. I picture him with the black leather and the chains and everything. And and here John comes roaring into town and he gets up and, and he's got a simple message. Guess what his message was? Repent. Everybody could understand what that meant. It wasn't complicated. And people came from all over. John, you read about it. I mean, this guy became very popular. And some people just went to see him because he he dressed funny. He had a weird diet. He ate locusts and wild honey. He he wore camel's hair, you know. And here he is. I think he's the original Harley guy, you know. But in that day, in that culture, and he comes and he just gets up and you just picture this big voice. And he preaches repentance for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And people were moved and people would come and say, I want to be baptized. And some people came out, some religious people came out, and John knew, the Lord had told him, these guys, they're they're just fakes, they're hypocrites. Just like true prophet style, he didn't back down. And he said to these hypocrites, who warns you to flee from the the coming wrath? You produce fruit in keeping with repentance, and then I'll dunk you. I mean, he's a no-nonsense guy. Simple message. But all the prophets were that way. John, if you will, was the last of the Old Testament prophets, and he introduces the greatest prophet the world has ever known, Jesus. And now Jesus comes on the scene bridging the Old Testament with with, with the New Testament now. He's going to enter in the New Testament by the sacrifice of his own self on the cross. He shed his blood uh, because he loves the world, full of sinners. It tells us in Matthew chapter 4, verse 17, uh, the message that Jesus preached. And here's what you don't want to miss. Here's what it says. His message was, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's the exact same message that John the Baptist had. It's the exact same message that all the prophets had. You see, God doesn't want to complicate it. He wants people to understand the way to life. And it's very simple. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him, Jesus, the iniquity of us all. And the sacrifice of Jesus is sufficient, but you will not get the benefit of it as long as you are going the way you want to go. And God loves us enough. He sends witnesses. Now, this is the point that some of you are not going to like it. Greatest prophet, I went back to the most blistering message recorded by Jesus. And you find it in Matthew chapter 23. And he didn't make a whole lot of friends uh, that day. Because he, like John the Baptist, confronted the religious hypocrites, the ones who were doing all the religious things and yet hidden sin in their life. They weren't right with God. And he says in verse 29, "'Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You build tombs for the prophets and decorate the graves of the righteous. And you say, if we had lived in the days of our forefathers, we would not have taken part with them in shedding the blood of the prophets.'" So you testify against yourselves that you are the descendants of those who murdered the prophets. You're their relatives. And then in verse thirty-three, you talk about not pulling any punches. You snakes, you brood of vipers. You will how will you escape from being condemned to hell? Nobody talks about hell much anymore, but Jesus did. Therefore, this is what blows me away. I am sending future tense you prophets and wise men and teachers. Some of them you'll kill and crucify, others you'll flog in your synagogues and pursue them from town to town. You know what's amazing about that statement? He's talking about what he's going to do after they crucify him. Did you catch what I just said? the greatest prophet comes, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. They crucified him. They did not receive his message. They rejected it. They rejected him. They put him on a cross despite him being crucified by the very people that he's trying to save. He continued to send messengers. He continued to send witnesses, even though they might not receive them either, and many of them they didn't. You see his heart in verse thirty-seven. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those who sent are sent to you, how often I've longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chickens under her wings. But you were not willing. And here's the part you're not going to like. Some of us. God's called the church to be a voice for him in the world, but it comes with a cost. Jesus said in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. That includes St. Petersburg, Florida. And here's what Jesus told us very clearly. Being a voice for God in our world, it may cost you your closest relationships. He tells us, Matthew chapter 10, the enemies that you will incur could be the members of your own family. Then he goes on to say after that, if you love your mother or father more than me, you're not worthy. If you love family more than me, you're not worthy of me.
0: joining us today to study the Old Testament on the Living Word. You may have thought that this section of the Bible isn't relevant in a world that Jesus has redeemed, but we hope through this study that you've changed your opinion. There's plenty to learn from Old Testament books, the people within, and the ways that God reveals himself. The God you meet in the Old Testament is the same one who created you, and the same one who's governing your life right now. If you'd like to explore more teachings from this Gleanings from the Old Testament series, you can find them online at ccfstpete.church. Just click on Sermons. You'll be redirected to our YouTube page, where you can watch a number of teachings from Calvary Chapel Fellowship and subscribe to our channel. Come connect with us on social media as well. You'll find The Living Word on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and you'll be able to jump into the conversations there. If you happen to be in the St. Petersburg area, we'd love to meet you. You're invited to join us for our weekly services at Calvary Chapel Fellowship. We meet Saturday at 6 p.m. and Sunday at 9 or 11 a.m. We're excited to welcome you into our family of faith. You'll find directions and more information at our website. Again, that's ccfstpete.church. That's all we have for today. Tune in next time for more on The Living Word.